0: Welcome to TCC Alive, a podcast of Tulare Community Church. Lord be with you at Tulare Community Church. My name is Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here at TCC. Hear now the word of the Lord from the book of Luke, chapter 4, verses 14 to 30. It says this, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and the news about Him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised Him. gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked? Jesus said to them, Surely you will quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself, and you will tell me, Do here in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. Truly I tell you, he continued, drove him out of the town, and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. Friends, it's the word of the Lord. We say thanks be to God. Hey, TCC again. My name is Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here at Tulare Community Church. We've been spending the last few weeks looking at the gospel of Luke in our sermon series that we're calling Luke for All Seasons. Last week, Pastor Shane walked us through the temptation Jesus endures during his 40 days in the wilderness. And today, we get to look at the genesis of Jesus' public ministry in the world. This passage that we're in sets the thematic tone for the rest of Jesus' ministry in the world in the book of Luke. And three major themes for all of the book of Luke are present here. Jesus fulfills, he endures, and he frees. Again, Jesus fulfills, he endures, and he frees. I want to take some time to figure out what that means and how it's going to play itself out as we continue through this gospel. So here's the scene. Jesus is in adulthood. Luke chapter 3 tells us that Jesus is about 30 years old. He's been baptized. He's been tested by the devil, triumphed, and is back in the region of Galilee. He's clearly gained some notoriety and he begins doing some old school pulpit supply. He's preaching in synagogues throughout the entire region and he arrives in his hometown of Nazareth. Now, Jesus is a Jew, and as a Jew, he would have spent the Sabbath day in the local synagogue, which is exactly where we find him as we uh, pick up in our passage. Now, worship in a synagogue 2,000 years ago looked like this. The service would have started with a recitation of the Shema, which is the morning and evening prayer of the Jewish people that's found in Deuteronomy 6.4. The congregation would then pray, and a predetermined section of the law would be read aloud for all to hear. Then the leader would choose any reading from the prophets that he wanted, He would provide an explanation and then an application of that reading from the prophets. There would be a blessing and the service would finally conclude with a prayer. Now scripture itself was read aloud in Hebrew and then it was translated verse by verse into Aramaic. And There was no official minister, good riddance, which meant that any competent member of the congregation or a visitor... Would be the one who was preaching. Now the practice was to stand up to read scripture and to sit down to preach, and so we when we get to Jesus' uh, when we get to Jesus's service in Nazareth, the Shema has been recited, prayer prayed, law read, and Jesus has been given the opportunity to pick any passage he wants from the prophets. In the first recorded words of Luke of Jesus ministering and teaching, here's. What he picks. This is starting in the middle of verse 16 in Luke 4. It says, He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year. Of the Lord's favor. Now, these are actually from two passages that are both found in the book of Isaiah. And both passages point to the same thing salvation. A salvation that an abused, exhausted people had been and is waiting for and had been waiting for for centuries. They're starving for good news, they're starving for freedom, they're starving to see clearly, they're starving. For the year of Jubilee, Jesus rolls up the scroll, hands it to the attendant. He sits down, which means remember that he's about to teach, and eyes are wide. They're glued to him. Mouths are open, and he says simply, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Mic drop. Imagine for a moment that you belong, to a people, and a religious tradition that is thousands of years old. And now, imagine that things have been rough, real rough, for you and your people for a really long time. Exile. Too many foreign rulers to count. You've been paying exorbitant taxes to provide a little tiny bit of assurance that you can eke out a living without violence coming from the local authorities. And if you're honest, not only are you exhausted, you're downright bitter. Real bitter. You're angry. See, not only is this whole situation that you find yourself in totally unfair, but the people that you've been forking over most of your income to aren't even good people. They're unclean. They're sinners. They don't follow the law. They don't belong to God's chosen people. They're not Jews. They're not people of the book. They're Gentiles. And the only thing that gives you just a little bit of peace and solace are the prophets that you hear a reading from every single week on the Sabbath telling you that a savior is coming. The Messiah. And so you hold on hope because you believe that the Messiah will fix everything. He'll proclaim good news. He'll free prisoners. He'll give sight to the blind. Things will be better. But along the way, you've also come to believe that he'll make those dirty, unfair Gentiles pay. You've come to believe they'll be punished. They'll get their just desserts. The Messiah will smite them all. And you've been waiting for this for your whole life. And here's a guy in your synagogue on the Sabbath who simply says, I'm here. And you can't believe it. Imagine if your grandpa Methuselah were alive to see this. You can't help yourself. He's here to fulfill all those prophecies. He's going to make those Gentiles pay. And in your congregation, a murmur of approval moves its way through the room. Weight is lifted from shoulders. Smiles appear on faces. It's Him. He's finally here. This guy, Jesus, He fulfills But as you're sitting there, amazed at the gracious words you've just heard, a thought worms its way into your mind. Jesus. Hmm. Jesus. Hold on a second. Where do I know that name from? Wait, 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 wait. wait. That's Joseph's kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The kid, he was born out of wedlock. Hold on just one second. How could he be the messiah? And so you lean over to the guy next to you and you whisper, maybe a little too loudly, Hey Obadiah, isn't this Joseph's kid? And then that spreads like wildfire and everyone starts whispering and pointing, Yeah, remember he was born in that feed trough? Messiah, prove it. Anticipating it all, Jesus replies, Surely you will quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. And you will tell me, Do here in your hometown What we have heard that you did in Capernaum. And then he speaks verses 24 to 27, and absolutely everything changes. Those verses say, Truly, I tell you, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. the Syrian. Anarchy. And we'll unpack why what he said is received with such vitriol in just a minute, but let's just look at how he's received first. See, these folks, Jesus' own people, on the Sabbath, Hebrew word Shabbat, literally meaning peace, among other things, respond to his words with such fury that they drive him out of town, they take him to a cliff with the intention of throwing him down to his death. Suddenly, a disgruntled email about the temperature in the sanctuary on a Sunday morning doesn't seem so bad. And to be sure, there is some sad irony here. Without doubt, as Jesus' own people are attempting to do the exact same thing that the devil tried to do earlier in the chapter when he said, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here, from the top of the temple in Jerusalem. But what I want us to pay attention to is this. In Jesus' very first moment of public ministry, the stage is set. He has come to fulfill the prophecies. Made about a Messiah. And as a result, he will endure scorn, violence, and persecution. Almost entirely from the very people who've been waiting for him. Right away, we see that the Son of God will endure doubt and questions about who he claims to be. From his own disciples, he will endure betrayal. And that betrayal will lead him to endure an unlawful arrest. And that unlawful arrest will lead him to endure torture on the cross. Where the Messiah, sent to fulfill centuries old prophecies, will endure not only unthinkable pain, but will endure the sins of the very people who nailed his hands and feet to the cross in the first place. Our passage in Luke 4 lays the groundwork for this entire story. Jesus fulfills, and as a result, he will endure the wrath of a wicked world. But he will endure that wrath to fulfill God's mission. See, Jesus fulfills, he endures, and he frees. There's a movie... Uh, called Jojo Rabbit. Maybe you've heard of it. It's a story of a little boy who grows up in Nazi Germany during World War II. He's in the Nazi youth corps and his imaginary friend is actually Hitler. It's a really good movie, I promise. Even Pastor Shane said he thinks it's okay. Now, Jojo's tyrannical imaginary friend encourages Jojo's already ingrained prejudice against Jewish people. And so, Jojo can't wait to meet his first Jew to show no mercy, as is his national duty. That is, until he learns that his family is housing a young Jewish girl. And at first, he's entirely hostile to her, thinks she'll eat him. Because that's what he's been taught, but slowly... He realizes that she's just a scared little girl and his heart softens. His prejudice washes away and he does whatever he can to help lead her to freedom. See, why Jesus' words about Elijah and Elisha are met with such fury is because of their underlying message. In 1 Kings 17, Elijah the prophet brings a Gentile boy back to life. And in 2 Kings 5, Elisha the prophet cures the general of an enemy army, a Gentile, of his leprosy. See, Jesus not only claims to be the Messiah, the one who brings salvation, but he is stating that the salvation he's bringing is available to everyone, Jews and Gentiles alike. Now, remember that many Jews in this context had come to believe that the Messiah would punish the Gentiles, but that's not what Jesus tells them. He tells them that the true message of the gospel from the beginning is that salvation, freedom, is offered to all. What Jesus endures during his ministry is proof that, unlike Jojo, hearts will not be softened during his life. There's too much history, maybe. There's too much anger. There's too much bitterness. N.T. Wright puts it this way. It's like someone in Britain or France during the Second World War speaking of God's healing and restoration for Adolf Hitler. It's not what people wanted to hear. Jesus frees, not only from hell, but from the biases, the prejudices, and the that exists between people groups, that exists between political parties, that exists between denominations. Jesus frees from the sins of racism and an attitude of insiders and outsiders. Jesus frees with grace, not the family or culture someone is born into. Jesus offers freedom through faith, not work, so that no one may boast. And if we truly believe that he frees through faith by grace, then we have no choice but to ask the Holy Spirit to soften our hearts, just like JoJo's towards all people, even and especially the people we think are least deserving of it. We are called to work our hardest to lead all people to the freedom that Jesus offers. See, this passage lays the groundwork for the entire gospel of Luke. Freedom comes from Jesus enduring the cross, fulfilling God's plan for a new heaven and a new earth in which every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord, God's people freed from their sin. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit,